Man, I love worshiping with you. I love hearing the people of God sing praises to God. Uh, I love our choir. Mitzi, thank you uh, for a wonderful message through that song. Uh, band, thank you. And Marcia, as always, thank you. Uh, you were over there a minute ago. Right over there. Uh, but we are blessed. Uh, I mean, God has blessed us with some amazing musical talent. Uh, and it's such a joy uh, to worship uh, with you as they lead us each and every week. Um, this morning, we're going to continue journeying through John chapter 5. We're in this series, Come and See, uh, looking at John's uh, writing of the gospel, John's account of the life of Jesus. And as you're turning there, uh, I just want to share, uh, I, I tell people that my life was made to be a pastor, because there are stories in my life that I get to share with you just about every week. I have experiences in my life that fit just about every text of the Bible. This one comes from a fifth grade, Trent. So we're going way back in time, right? A fifth grade, Trent, who was hungry for power. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Now, some of y'all need to raise your hand. When you were in fifth grade, you wanted power. See, this, the elementary school I went to, we had something called the safety patrol. And I mean, that was, it was only for fifth graders because we were the cream of the crop. We were the, we were the, you know, fifth grade. The school went to fifth grade. You know, we were the oldest of the school. And I begged my teacher the whole year to select me to be a part of the safety patrol. Now, what does the safety patrol do? Tell what? (laughs) We get to tell other people what to do, particularly those younger than us, right? And so... They stand at various areas around the school and like, hey, don't run, or hey, you're going to be late for class, or, you know, it's, it's, it's safety patrol, you know, making sure everybody did. Finally, after pestering, if you're a teacher, you probably would have never gave me safety patrol, but she wanted me to shush, about shit, be quiet. She wanted me, TJ says that's a bad word, so I got to be careful. She wanted me to be quiet, so she assigned me the role of safety patrol. So I went through the training, and I got my authority. In the form of a orange little, whatever it was. I don't know. It wasn't really a vest, but it was just a little, I don't know. You put this little sash. Sash, that's it. My orange sash and my orange belt. And I became the dictator of the safety patrol. (laughs) Nobody was running on my watch. Not even the teacher who was late for school. That She was running way late for class. I said, excuse me. I'm not going to call her name. I said, excuse me, I called her by her first name. No, no, but I'm safety patrol. You need to slow down. Now she looked at me and she goes, who do you think you are? I said, I'm safety patrol. So I got rode up as a safety patrol. I'm like, that's my job. Don't question my authority as a safety patrol. I was a very controversial safety patrol individual. Uh, parents got mad at me for yelling at their students for getting out of their car too fast. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I took it to the extreme. <laughs> Interesting note, it's, it's only like a nine-week deal and then you get somebody else. I got nominated to do it again. <laughs> so I did it for 18 weeks. Because I was that, I got reassigned to a location where nobody was at though the second nine weeks. <laughs> Authority. People questioned my, I had, you know, kindergartners would question my authority. And I was very controversial 
safety patrol officer. Now, I'm not Jesus and I'm not like Jesus, but that illustration kind of sets the example of where we're going today because Jesus is a very controversial figure because of his authority and the authority that he is demonstrating. John chapter 5 is bringing all of this to the surface. Jesus has demonstrated his authority to heal a paralyzed man. He's demonstrated his authority to do this on the most holy of days, the Sabbath. He's also, earlier in the passage, demonstrated his authority to cleanse his father's house, the temple. Jesus is showing authority that has not been seen, and he is uh, doing this in the face of the actual authority. He's he, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the Jewish leaders, they're the authority. And now Jesus has shown up and he says, no, you've gotten it wrong. You've messed this whole thing up. I'm the authority and I'm going to show you why. Clean out the temple, heal a man. I do it on the Sabbath. Me and my father are the same. And the Pharisees are standing there, much like that teacher, and saying, who do you think you are to tell this man to walk on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are to come in here and tell us we've been doing it wrong? Who do you think you are to come in and correct hundreds of years of religion? In verse 17, which we looked at last week in John chapter 5, Jesus responds to this. He answers this question. It's a very uh, interesting word. That word answer to respond is a legal word. Jesus begins in 17 to give a defense of his authority. I mean, they're asking the question, who, who do you think you are? Where does this authority come from? And Jesus says, well, sit down, bug, buds, bucks, buckaroos. Take a seat. I'm going to tell you where my authority comes from. I tried to do that with the teacher and I still got wrote up. But Jesus has real authority from a real source. And the next, for the rest of chapter 5, he's going to give a defense of where his authority comes from. And it's essentially found in this idea that he says in verse 17, My father is still at work and I am working also. So Jesus has now healed on the Sabbath, which is punishable by death because he's worked on the Sabbath. He's now claiming that God is his father, showing kind of an equality with God. In fact, the Pharisees interpret it as such. Uh, John provides a little commentary that the Jews began trying to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was uh, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. For the Jews of the day, that's blasphemy. And so this is absolutely for the religious elites, for the religious leaders. you got this guy, this carpenter, who just shows up, starts saying, Hey, me and my dad, look what we're doing. My authority comes from him. They're like, you can't say that. So they're going to kill him. The course of his life has now been set. But Jesus gives this defense that says, actually, I and the Father am one. The authority that I'm showing you, the authority that I have, is from the fact that I and the Father are one. There is a a unique relationship between God the Father and God 
the Son. And there is an equalness to it, but as we're going to see, it's not... It's not an equalness as Jesus is a competing God or Jesus isn't just another God. You know, I think the Trinity is one of the hardest things for Christians to understand and hard to explain. There's no illustration that I can give you that works to describe the Trinity other than just to say this. The Father is God. The Son is God. But the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. They're both equally God, but they're uniquely different. And that's what Jesus is kind of going to explain. But he's going to give us a deeper meaning that his authority comes from his oneness with God. And that this authority gives him certain abilities. Because he shares those abilities with God. So start with me in verse 19 this morning. Jesus replied, again, he's giving this defense. Truly, truly, or truly I tell you. The son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. And truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life. But those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear And my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now that's a lot. And in the time we have, we won't get to everything that's in this passage. I do encourage you to study it on your own. But Jesus gives his testimony about himself. In this passage, Jesus explains where his authority comes from. It comes from his Father. Uh, Verses 19 and 20, he says, I am one with the Father. I can't do anything but what I see the Father doing. Here's the picture that I want to illustrate this to you. My dad's a brick mason. He was a great brick mason. Uh, My dad was a brick mason who taught students. He was a masonry teacher. His students won numerous national championships. I mean, he would teach them, they would become master masons, they would win gold medals. They were absolutely amazing. He was a great teacher, he was a great mason. I am his son. There is an expectation that genetically I would be able to do this, right? 
Okay, well, genetics is funny like that for the first thing, okay? But my dad loved me so much. He desired for me to be good at this and to teach, if nothing, not, maybe not to win a gold medal, but to have a skill that I could fall back on. And so in a very modern day-like sense, he was the master teacher. I was an apprentice. Everything he did to show me to lay brick, I tried to copy. Now, at some point for me, again, I'm not Jesus. So for me, the skill to do what my dad did just didn't exist. The genetics were not there. But I tried. Everything he did, I did. Now, one time I tried to do it my own way. You don't do that with a master teacher. Because they'll come over, they'll kick your wall right down in front of you. That could have happened, right? you got to do it exactly like the master. That's the picture, I think, in Jesus' mind. He's got this picture, this very common thing in the day where sons would become apprentices in the family businesses of their fathers. Their fathers would carefully and meticulously show them exactly what they were to do. Jesus' dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. Make no mistake, Jesus would have learned how to be a carpenter. Jesus would have learned the trade and he would have followed the instructions of his dad to the T. Because that's what an apprentice does. So in a real sense, what he's saying here using this common day illustration is that I, the son of God, am doing exactly what the father has shown me to do. I can't do anything that the master doesn't show me to do. I can't do anything he doesn't want me to do. And so this is the the, the, uh, the really hard to comprehend uniqueness of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. They are equal. They are one. But notice that the Son is subordinate to the Father. Jesus can't just show up and start running around and doing things that God does not want them him to do. He is doing it exactly like God says. Now, for you and I, this is what this means. It means that Jesus is revealing to us the nature and the character of God. A question that is in the Gospels is simple. Has anyone ever seen God? This will show up in John. Has anyone ever seen God? Have you ever seen God? No. But they've seen the Son. And if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Jesus has come to demonstrate and to show us the very nature of the Father. The love of God. The grace of God. The teachings of God. Uh, If you walk around and people say, well, I don't know if God exists. Well, he does. We can see him in the form of the Son. Now, you and I can't see the sun, but we have a lot of eyewitnesses who saw the sun, who faithfully recorded the actions and the teachings of the sun. This is where we get our answers. You want to know what God's like? Read about Jesus, who is the perfect image, the perfect nature of the Father, doing the will of the Father in all that he does. And I love this, this phrase in verse 20, for the father loves the son. My dad loved me. He showed me how to be a brick mason. The father loves the son. So the father perfectly shows, or yeah, the father loves the son. Remember back at Jesus' baptism, the dove descended. This is my son whom I am well pleased. But it was interesting to point out, we're, we're familiar, many people are familiar with agape, which is that unconditional love that's talked about. Jesus has this agape love for us. The word love here is not agape. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's phileo. 
It's a brotherly love. It's a community kind of love. The Father and the Son are in perfect community with each other. Now, I want you to lean in. I want you to listen. You know, Jesus says, truly, truly, you know, this is important. When I say I want you to listen, lean in, this is important. This, remind, this relationship between the Father and the Son should remind us of the relationship between us and the Father. At least how it was intended to be. How it was intended to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity. In the beginning, God and humanity was in perfect harmony. We were in perfect community with God. God says, it is good, it is good, it is very good. Everything is good. We were perfectly connected to the Father. That's how it was created. We were created in the image of God. The love that the Son and the Father now have is the same kind of thing that we were created to experience in the beginning. Because we were all created in the image of God. And yet humanity, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They had one rule. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Just don't eat it. And they were tempted because they wanted to be like God. And they gave in to the temptation. And as soon as they took a bite, all of humanity, listen, all of humanity became broke. The community was broke. And entered death. Physical death and spiritual death, by the way. All because humanity sinned. Sickness entered the world. This man's paralyzed because Adam and Eve sinned. And sickness entered the world. The need for Jesus dying on a cross is because sin entered the world. The perfect harmony was broken. But God so loved the world that he sent his son to restore the broken relationship because God desires that phileo love with humanity, that union, that community. But the only way is to find restoration in Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus says in this passage. For the brokenness to be restored, for the dead to be brought back to life, verse 21, and just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to who He wants. You can look down at verse 24, the parallel passage to verse 21. Truly, listen in, look, listen, this is important. I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. The authority that Jesus has, which comes from the Father, gives him the authority to give life and to judge. So there are two things in this passage. Jesus being one with the Father, he's got authority over the temple, he's got authority over the Sabbath, he has authority over my life and your life. He has the authority to give life and he has the authority to judge. Now, we don't like that. We don't hear a lot of sermons in 2022 about judgment. Unless it's a sermon that says, hey, don't judge other people. And you shouldn't, by the way. We can hold each other accountable. We can love each other. But don't judge people. But here in this passage, it's very clear. Jesus says, I've got the authority to judge. I am the judge. Here's what I want you to understand. You may not believe in any of this. You may not believe in God. You may not believe in judgment. You may may not believe in Jesus. But here's just the truth. You will stand before Jesus and be judged. 
when you die, you will become absent from the body. I promise. The Word of God says it. And you will stand before Jesus and you will be judged. And everything that you've ever done will be laid out. Maybe it'll be on a big flat screen. I don't know. Let's go back to 1976 and see what words you used on the baseball field. Or this past basketball season when you talked to that referee. You know, Everything you've ever done is going to go, is going to be laid out before you. Every evil thought, every anger, every thought of revenge, every lust, every, uh, every word of gossip, every sin you've ever committed are going to be laid out. And I, 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 don't, I, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to be, but in my mind, I see the scales of justice. And everything gets piled on. Everything I've ever done is piled on and piled on. And I will stand judged. And because of my sins, I am condemned. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, Romans 7, at the end of it, Paul talks about how bad of a guy he is and how he does things he knows he shouldn't do, that he's a sinner, a wretched life that he's lived. And then you go right into Romans 8, therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Whereas Jesus stands as judge, and and listen, we're all going to be judged. But for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to hear those words, not guilty. Ray Boltz is who he is, but he has some amazing music back in the 90s. And there's a song called One Drop of Blood. And that's probably where I get this picture from, where our sins weigh down the scales of justice. And then one drop of blood throws them off. Therefore, in Christ, there is no condemnation. Why? Because even though Jesus is the authority to judge, Jesus has the authority to give life. He has the authority to bring us back from the from spiritual death. Now, it, this passage does have illusions to him raising the dead physically. He's gonna be he's gonna bring back Lazarus, his his friend. People are going to be raised from the dead physically from what Jesus has done, his power, his authority. But the deeper meaning is spiritual that we, because of our sin, because of uh, because of all those bad things we've done, we are spiritually dead, and Jesus has the authority to give life. How? Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You don't have to spend your life working to please God. By the way, you're never going to live a life worthy of God. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. But you don't have to worry about that because Jesus says here, I've done the work. I'm the one who has the authority to give life. An hour is coming when I'm going to hang on the cross. The dead will hear my voice and they will be made alive. As he's hanging on the cross, he tells the thief, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Because of what I am doing for you, all you have to do is believe. And if this is your first Sunday with us going through the Gospel of John, you're thinking, well, this sounds a lot like John chapter 3, and anyone who believes will have eternal life. Yes. John's Gospel is very repetitive because John has one goal, that everyone would believe in Jesus, and that by believing you would have eternal life, that you would pass from death into life. That's his goal. And Jesus clearly says, I am the way 
that you get there. Later in John, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Which leads to verse 23 where he says, So that people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. The religious elites of the day felt like they honored the Father by their list of man-made rules. Now listen, we honor the Father by following the commands of of Jesus. We honor the Father by following his teachings. Okay, and we should have a deep love for God. If we if we love God, we'll follow his commandments. That's what Jesus will say in John's gospel also. But it's not the works or the deeds that save us. It's not the works or the deeds that bring us back to life. It's Jesus. And because of who he is, because of what he's done, we honor the Son. There are people in our world today who are separating the Father and the Son. It's just our culture. It's a big cultural movement. They're throwing out a lot of God. And they're only keeping some teachings of Jesus. On the flip side, some people only take God. There's religions that only worship God and look down upon the Son. Jesus is very clear. To honor the Father, you have to honor the Son. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way for your life to be restored is through the Son. The only way for your sins to be forgiven is through the Son. The only way for you to have eternal life is through the Son. And the people today who say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, Jesus never said what the church says he said, have you read John chapter 5? My Bible has it in red letters. Jesus very clearly says, I and the Father am one. And because of that, I'm here to give life to the dead. I'm here to restore the brokenness. And as we prepare for a time of invitation, the invitation is is, is this. Do you need Jesus to give you life? Our whole series is called Come and See. It's The whole series is based around the invitation to come and see who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Jesus very clearly tells you who he is and he says what he's going to do. Because he loves you. Because God loves you. This morning, if you're here, do you need to respond to the invitation to follow Jesus? Do you need to stop running away and finding all these different avenues to make yourself feel whole? Or do you just need to come forward and say, Jesus, I love you and I just want to follow you? That's the gospel. I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Jesus, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Whatever you say, I'm going to do because I know you're going to forgive me. It's not very hard. You just have to respond. You have to receive the gift of life. So during this uh, song of invitation, I'll stand down front. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, if you're ready to make the decision to follow him, I'll pray with you. If you want to just come down here to the altar and pray, you can do that. You don't have to pray with me to be saved. You just have to give your life to the Lord. If you want to do it at your seat, you can do it at your seat. 
Just be sure to talk to somebody afterwards if you have any questions. But that's the invitation. Are you ready to go from death to life? Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your love, your mercy. We're so grateful that you desire to have a brotherly, communal, community connection with your children. That even though we sin and we rebel and and we have moved away from you, you have sought your children. Through your grace and through mercy, you have drawn us to this place today. Father, help us to respond to the invitation to come follow Jesus. So that our sins may be forgiven. And that we can stand before the judge and say, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Help us to share this message to the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.